Good day, everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon and now anime. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as per usual as we now continue our newly started journey through the through the the wondrous series as it stands of Transformers Headmasters from Japan, my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. As, as people will know, I died in the last episode, but I'm now back under a new name and a slightly different colour scheme. <laughs> there we go. And I think we could probably both relate to that, because uh, that, that was a heavy episode three that we went through. And for episode four, we'll get to it in a minute, but I think we both had a bit of fun watching this. Yeah, yeah, I had I had fun for, for various reasons with kind of two of these three episodes. Like, episode five was also... I was not ready... For the deep cut that that came from that episode which we can get into um but yeah <laughs> th- these were two these were ep- i mean episode six I've, I've like i've kind of forgotten already but episodes four and five like i i feel like they really please kind of childhood me in a couple of ways like episode four is a classic like this is what Transformers is all about, like watching it and being like, oh man, I want that toy. Um, and it's like, I, I, was not, I was not ready for that feeling at, at, at my age, uh, watching an episode of Headmasters, but there it was. Um, and then episode five gave me some very unexpected nostalgia, um, which we can, uh, we can talk about as we get to it. Well, folks, Andy's alluded to it. Today, we are talking about episodes four to six of the Japanese Transformers Headmasters series. If you are listening in audio only form via the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you found the podcast, thank you very much for checking out the episode. We hope you enjoy the show, and if you feel so inclined, make sure you tell a friend about us. We would really appreciate it. If you want to watch us discuss all of these episodes, every single podcast that we have done is available on YouTube. If you simply search on YouTube for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you will find our channel and every single episode archived there accordingly peek behind the curtain, people on the video version will notice my setup looks a little bit different. That's because I'm getting decorating done. So I continue to build my wall of Transformers for you today. However, I will not show you the rest of the room because there's a lot of clutter, as it were. But that aside, Andy, we are discussing episodes four to six of Transformers Headmasters. You've sort of given a little preview there as to what you thought, but in terms of sort of us continuing with this because we spoke when we discussed episodes one to three on the last podcast and all the deep diving we did into the background of it there was there was a lot of information to cover and a lot to get our head around no near pun intended there in terms of timelines and such how 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 are you feeling after these three episodes now in terms of where your head canon is when it comes to headmasters um yeah i mean it's sort of these episodes are interesting because we're sort of we're, we're into the realms of sort of more episodic stuff. I mean, episode four is is episodic, but also because it kind of continues on from everything that prior episodes wrought, it sort of felt like it was still part of that whole. Um, episodes five and six kind of felt like very traditional, you know, one-off episodes of the show, like that not all that different in a sense to especially like season three Transformers, where you know. We've got a lot of universe faring and kind of planet hopping, um, and you know it kind of it does some stuff around that, and they're both okay episodes, I guess. Like I say, episode six was kind of forgettable to me. Um, 
the headmasters haven't done it all that much, considering the show is called <laughs> Headmasters. Not to call them out, but, you know, they've not really been uh, up front and centre thus far, which, you know, leaves me kind of curious as to where, you know, where it's going to head in terms of that stuff, because, you know, they're, they're sort of... I mean, I mean, the characters we've been introduced to kind of do a bit here and there, and they, they do have some use, but again, like, we've not seen... We've not seen any Scorponok really to, to speak of um, and you know they, they still feel like sort of secondary characters which is weird when the show is called Headmasters um, but yeah I know these these episodes were fine and you know I, I, th- there was stuff that I could dig into that I liked about uh, about at least a couple of them so you know I, I have no complaints Agreed. Another thing that I'm liking, which we'll get onto as we begin discussing them shortly, is how much of sort of little bits of character development there are. Be it for in good ways, for example, like there's a thing with Rodimus that I actually really liked in particular about him. But then there's other characters like Wheelie, who for a brief moment in the last ep- in the last podcast, Andy, I kind of liked a bit more. You know, he kind of won me over. And by the end of this this podcast, quite frankly, he's a bit of a dick. yeah 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 he has returned to form i guess it can be said so with that being said let's not wait any further let's get straight on to this so let's dive in to episode four of transformers headmasters titled the great cassette operation and just to to set the scene as to where we were at the end of episode three everybody optimus prime had passed away after sort of going in, trying to, I won't say attack Vector Sigma, but try to control Vector Sigma. And prior to that, Soundwave and Blaster had both perished after battling each other as well. So now Rodimus Prime is the leader of the Autobots with the Headmasters and a bunch of the G1 classics, if you will, still being about very much at his close side. So from there... We begin in the Decepticon base on Char. Or Char, actually. I'm in Gundam mode now. That was that, but there you go. <laughs> begin on Char with schematics on a screen crunching through numbers and blueprints that's attached to a plinth which has the now deceased head of Soundwave on top of it. Where are we going from here was my first thought because that's already a heck of a lot to process after what we saw last time. We then actually get a recap of the events of the episodes in the form of the narrator saying, quote, Soundwave, the Decepticon information officer, and the Cybertron broadcast, which is blaster in English, but I will say this, Andy, before just to derail myself before I get going. There are some moments within these episodes where the subtitle script seemed to go a little bit wonky when it came to naming conventions. So I'll try to correct myself as I go along here, but if there's something specifically that you think I may have incorrectly attempted to correct, do just call me out and point it out. I'll leave it in the edit because I think it's worth leaving in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've sort of also reached a point where I just quite enjoy calling Blaster Broadcast every now and again, so I'm kind <laughs> of here for it. So, I digress. Let me start that bit again. So, the narrator saying, quote... Soundwave, the Decepticon information officer, and the Autobot broadcast, aka Blaster, have fought, and both of them have died as a result. Quote. With with all the other Decepticon cassettes looking on, we then see Soundwave's head lowered onto a new body that looks remarkably like his old one. The narrator chimes in again, saying, quote, Soundwave has been revived thanks to the technology of Zarak, a commander of the Decepticons. He has been reborn as Sound Blaster, end quote. 
Now, the first notable difference in terms of what this means for us, the viewer, is that rather than kind of having the purple colour scheme that we, we know and love, and it's the classic look, if you will, replace the purple with black. You could almost say Sound Blaster is going into a bit of a goth or emo phase, but I won't go that far. It's then, pretty. It's, oh, it's 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 pretty rad. Like I, I really. I, it's great. I I, I I I am here for this new car scheme. As, as mentioned, this was like my first kind of like. Oh man, I want a sand blaster toy now. Um. Also, as somebody who was brought up like with around PCs in the 1990s, just like being called sand blaster is like a hilarious thing in itself. It's like, oh, you're gonna play some MIDI files? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> That's a good shot, actually. Now. I won't lie, this moment, Andy, what's coming up was really touching for me. Genuinely. I'm not just saying that just to try and embellish this with a podcast. Sound Blaster then tells his cassettes, quote-unquote, sorry to have kept you waiting, and then they all cheer. It was genuinely <laughs> heartwarming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was that was 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 that the moment? Or was it later on where he just says like, "That's my boys," and it's like I can't I think remember it was a bit later was. on, but it was so good. But yeah, yeah, that whole thing, and, and also like Galvatron being very Sundera to use an anime phrase. Now this is an anime podcast about the return of Sandwave slash Sandblast. Of like, oh, I guess I had to bring you back. It's like, oh, we 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 <laughs> saw we we saw how you reacted when Sandwave got trashed in the previous episode <laughs> don't give me that oh well i guess i just felt like it it's like no we know you were like crying yourself to sleep galvatron but just be be honest with yourself but for the sake of consistency here andy now that we are an anime podcast we should kind of almost set up our venn diagram of terms and stuff your definition of sundere for those in case listening who may not be familiar with the term yeah, so basically the, the Sundera is, is kind of a typical anime character archetype who is madly in love with another character but pretends that they hate them. Um, and occasionally the mask slips and, you know, they, they, they are sort of accidentally or like partly admit to their feelings but they will constantly keep up the facade that the other person is like an idiot and they hate them. Um, and that is Galvatron and Sandwave at this point. <laughs> Or Sound Blaster now, I guess. Or Sound Blaster, <laughs> yeah. Well, while we're on this subject, like, one, why have they changed his name when he's... Ba this, this is the thing that I don't quite understand about this. Like, is he... This is maybe almost like a spin-off of our, like, Galvatron versus Megatron discussion. But, like, is he actually the same personality? Or is this a completely different Decepticon with a different personality? Because, like, even here, like, Galvatron kind of starts out like, getting ahead of ourselves a bit. But Galvatron's like, uh, basically, I need to test you and, like, test your abilities. And it's like, well, that suggests that he's a different character, so like, is he just somebody new now? Because then you know, there's still there's still some beef going on between the cassette players. So like, I don't know. Like, canonically, is he a different person now? Is what I'm asking. Uh, I'm just having a quick gander at the TF wiki just to see if I can try and get a quick answer to this. And and while you're looking at that, I'll ask my other question, which is why didn't they upgrade him to a CD player while they were at it? <laughs> Because, I mean, by, like, 87, kind of cassettes were sort of on their way out. Like, they could have just been like, look, we'll make you a, we'll make you a, we'll make you a Walkman now. Like, we'll make you a, a CD player. That'll, that'll be more useful. 
I'll say that Zarak only had so much of a budget to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess that would have been really harsh on the cassettes, right? Of just like, no, sorry, you're all obsolete. <laughs> you're, you're, you're all homeless now because I can only take CDs. <laughs> so the way that the TF Wiki describes it is reborn in a new black body, Soundwave was rechristened Soundblaster. And following a reunion with his with his delighted cassettes, immediately went straight back to working for the Decepticon cause. Yeah, so you see, that's yeah, that that that's kind of how that like plays out and how that seems. But it's just kind of the way a they're renamed, and it's just like on both sides they sort of get a bit of a like ah oh, we need to like test you test you out as if they're like you know the the newbie in the office. But yeah, like it's it it's just feels like such a weird thing. It's like if they're the same person, can't they just be called Soundwave? Or you know, I I don't I, I mean I know exactly why it's to sell different toys, but you know, <laughs> we know the actual reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's also I guess it's kind of adds credence to this. But even the TF Wiki's sort of hyperlink for Sound Blaster redirects to Soundwave's page. So even yeah. they regard them as just the same person, just renamed. Though I'm sure at some point that does deviate, because I seem to recall. Oh, this is this is really changing tune now. But when it comes to the War for Cybertron Netflix films, I'm pretty sure that Sound Blaster makes an appearance in that, if I remember. And that's a very different version of Sound Blaster. I think. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, something about that. So yeah, that that would that would make sense, but uh, but yeah, it just it feels like such a weird thing here. And like I say, I, I know why it is because they want to sell another toy, and in my case, it worked because it's like, oh man, I don't want a sound wave anymore. I want a sound blaster. Especially when I started looking up like the actual toy, and one of the main changes they made was that they made his like the cassette part of his body can hold two cassettes now. And I don't know why that is so exciting to me, but I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, mate. Let's just call it like it is. So, Sound Blaster says, Sorry to have kept you waiting, and all the Decepticon cassettes cheer. Ratbat in particular is very happy, as they say, quote unquote, Our officer has been reborn! <laughs> Before transforming into a cassette and docking inside Sound Blaster. The other cassettes doing all the same, and actually, Andy, this is the moment when it happens, because then with all of them docked, his take deck closes, and Sound Blaster just says, "That's my boys," <laughs> which is probably the least, the most like the, the least Soundwave slash Sound Blaster thing that he has ever said. But I loved it. <laughs> we then fast forward, and we see Sound Blaster having reported to Galvatron, who says, "Quote unquote, I've taken the trouble to restore you back to life. Keep that mind and serve me well." Galvatron then shows off their latest weapon, the Mad Machine, which, to try and articulate this, Andy, as to how it looks, I wrote down it kind of looks like a giant scarab beetle, which I'm pretty sure in Transformers lore we've had with something before. Yeah, well, there was that, I forget which episode it was that had that really weird designs, like, super laser thing, and it was like, it was very unimpressive. But that's probably just because they didn't call it Mad Machine, which is like, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm sure somebody has already done this, but if they haven't, can somebody please make a supercut of everybody who says Mad Machine in this episode in one video, because that's all I need in my life. <laughs> so as mentioned, it looks like a Scarab Beetle, and Galvatron adds that they will have a nasty surprise for the Autobots, 
and he wants this machine to be tested on Earth by Sound Blaster. We then cut to Earth and we see a structure that we've not come across before and inside Sixshot is sitting in a chair and then says Dino Base start up. Now I appreciate Andy that I said we've not come across this this base before but it turns out it's Trypticon. I guess? Question mark? <laughs> Who takes yeah. to the sky in what the TF Wiki describes as being battle station mode. Yeah, I mean I, I guess... Trypticon is a dinosaur and he's a base, so why not also call him Dino Base? I assume this is just like this is just his Japanese name in the same way as like broadcast is Blaster or, or vice versa. Um, but yeah, because much like Metroplex, yeah, like he has his three modes, and I guess it's the weird thing actually about the the US like continuity because they never really used like Metroplex's kind of moving battle vehicle mode and I don't think they ever really used Trypticon's like battle station mode probably because they're kind of weirdly clunky to use in a cartoon form like they kind of make more sense as a toy but I did I did appreciate both of these kind of giant robots getting their least used forms getting an outing in this episode. Battle Station Mode Dino Base, or Trypticon, I'll figure out how I'm going to describe it shortly, folks. Go on to attack an oil field, which is in order to draw out Metroplex, or as it was actually written in the subtitles, Andy, Metroflex. Yeah, I mean, that that feels like when, when he's working out, he's like, check out my Metroflex. <laughs> check out my Metropex. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Their activity is detected by Jazz and Ultra Magnus, who, predictably, direct Metroplex to intercept. They send a communication to Rodimus, and we hear the phrase, Scramble City, move. And we see Metroplex change from city mode to fortress mode, which is a giant tank. I'm not gonna lie, Andy, I'm really confused at this point as to what the heck Metroplex is. But the fact that they mentioned Scramble City, which I think is an OVA of some kind, I think we've mm -hmm. mentioned in passing on the podcast before. I'm guessing now that that OVA, like special video animation, it is specifically about Metroplex. Then, I yeah, I can't remember because I very vaguely like watched some of it on YouTube because it's a weird like blend of like stop motion of the actual toys and some footage of the cartoon. I can't remember. I'm sure Metroplex probably turns up in it in some point, because why wouldn't you show the Metroplex toy in that kind of thing? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, people just call Metroplex whatever they want at this point. It seems like, you know, is he Autobot City? Is he Scramble City? Is he Metroplex? Is he Metroflex? Who can say? <laughs> this leads to our first taste of Metroplex versus Trypticon in the series, with Metroplex quickly gaining the upper hand only for the Mad Machine to rise out of the ground and proceed to blast Metroplex with an energy ray that completely engulfs the giant Autobot. Metroplex systems just go down and is ultimately crippled from the attack. Trypticon then knocks him down, and just when you think this might be it for Metroplex, Galvatron orders the, the Decepticons and Mad Machine to withdraw because it has exhausted his power. Its power. Which, I've got to say, Andy, some things don't change, do they? It's like, just put on a, put a bigger battery in it, Galvatron. Spend the extra five quid, come on. 
yeah yeah i mean as somebody who owned the galvatron toy like he probably had a whacking great battery of his own for his pew pew laser gun to make sounds so he could have just lent it to the mad machine and that would have been fine but also it just felt like maybe this is just like galvatron's like muscle memory of like when he's probably (laughs) thinking like oh we should attack and finish them off all he can say is retreat because he's just so used to it with that in mind Magnus and Jazz are now struggling, excuse me, to get Metroplex operational again. Back on Char, Galvatron is celebrating the success of his successful test. That was an interesting way I phrased that, but not to worry. And this is when we find out what his grand plan is. You might be able to figure it out based on the past few episodes, everybody, but let's see if you can. His aim is to control Vector Sigma. <laughs> yeah, Because, it's, of course... It's, it's... Go on. It's the destroy Cybertron of this season. It's now Control Vector Sigma. <laughs> and of course, the reason for this, just to recap slightly, is because Vector Sigma is the controller of the balance of power on Cybertron. And with that in mind, Galvatron now wants to increase the Madman, the Madman, the Mad Machine's power to be able to do that. So he is now going to put a bigger battery in, but it's like, you know what, Galvatron, you could have just done this bit better but hey ho <laughs> now reports of this new deadly device are soon reaching rodimus prime the narrator highlighting the following quote the decepticon's new mad machine has the capability to disrupt computer circuitry quote now despite cut being confused as to why they didn't finish off metroplex like us rodimus believes the decepticon's true target is vector sigma on Cybertron. So already, Andy, Rodimus is proving to be far greater of a leader. Just a, like barely, what, a, an episode in. Half an episode yeah. in at this point. Yeah, he's all, he's also really upped his eye makeup game. Like he has some really good <laughs> mascara going on with his new look. Like some some good again again maybe maybe this is the theme. Like with Sandblaster and his new black getup. Like maybe Rodimus is getting a little bit goth as well. <laughs> Just going full eyeshadow and everything now. <laughs> After Blur initially thinks that this is a dumb idea for the Decepticons before the obvious is stated to him, the four Autobot headmasters volunteer to head to Char and destroy the device. And they want to do it now. But they're actually being very restless about it. And Rodimus, again, this is another character element here, demonstrates he really has matured as a leader and starts saying to them, quote, Calm down. Strategy, strategy, excuse me, should always adopt, adapt to circumstances. Sometimes great haste does not make speed, quote. And then he adds, he has a more subtle approach in mind. Andy, what the heck has happened to Rodimus? It's like, it's almost like they've got a writer that wants to make him competent. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's one of those particularly weird things because it kind of... It feels like this really good through line for us having watched like all of the US continuity and seeing all of his struggles and then kind of by the end of like the US series he kind of gets gets a grip I was gonna say that's a little bit harsh but (laughs) you know what I mean um and like so this sort of feels like a good through line of like no he's been through all that he's matured He's seen Optimus Prime die like five times at this point, so he's just like he's just done with it all, and he's like, "Fine, I'll be in charge." Um, but yeah, like this is this is good, like proper leadership. Well, for now, like we'll maybe get back to that in like about ten seconds. But right now, yeah, he's 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 doing some good leader stuff. 
Rodimus's first priority is wanting to know the Mad Machine's weakness. And he wants to send the Autobot cassette tapes to do some spying. However, unfortunately, the loss of Blaster has left them all dejected and unable to perform their tasks. We see them sitting in a room with Daniel, poor them, all down and sad. And with the accompanying sad music that was on the last tape that, that Blaster had left them accompanying them. It's like, guys, maybe don't play that in the room, but hey-ho. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just, I mean, this is, this is like when you have a breakup and you just find the CD of all, all your saddest songs just to get it out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was genuinely quite touching. Like, I mean, you know, coupled with the whole, like, you know, the return of, of Sam Blaster, just like seeing all these guys just be really, like, dejected. It's just like, oh, no, this is, this is really sad. Uh, oh, Almost as sad as like the the Autobot like complete mismanagement of this of like well what's wrong with you? It's like you were literally there, Rodimus. You literally saw Blaster die in front of you. You know exactly what's up with them. Like it's it's very like tone deaf that they're like well why why are you not interested in going on this mission for us? It's like they're their best buddy and house literally they lost both of those things at the same time like yeah it's had a pretty rough week can they not surely they should get some compassionate leave like this is just bad management is all i'm saying and, and you told you told steeljaw to sort it out when you had to go and save vector sigma <laughs> yeah yeah and then that's kind of the gist again of just like well you know can't you just get on with it and it's like well no no they can't this is not this is not really fair <laughs> so the cassettes end up telling Rodimus when he tells them of the plan that he's got for them the following Steeljaw says not obviously in this voice this is just me putting on something but Commander I'm afraid we cannot obey your orders Ramhorn adding we have lost confidence in our abilities this leads to a headmaster calling them out for being glum and then tensions start flaring up the typically, like, brash headmasters don't look too kindly upon this dereliction of duty, and an argument ensues, but young Daniel sticks up for them. Chrome Dome then says, Daniel, you don't have to stick up for such cowards. Daniel saying, they're not cowards. You don't understand. Nobody understands how the Autobot cassettes feel. Rodimus and Wheelie then arrive in the room where the cassettes were before, and then Daniel plays the tape once again of the of the sad music the same last tape that blaster gave them that gave wheelie specifically in the last episode wheelie realizing this and now we have to relive blaster's death again in a flashback <laughs> this they, time they, with the sad music playing <laughs> they really like that cut of animation because they use it so many times they're very pleased with themselves of like hey look it's a really good explosion and this is this is this is good animation we're just gonna make the most of it <laughs> daniel then stands up and says we all respected blaster as a great commander can't you understand our sadness at the loss of our commander and then rodimus says i do understand daniel cuts him off and goes no you don't but then rodimus cuts him off and says listen to me all of you Blaster will be restored. Fortress is working on the, on the necessary technology now on Planet Master. 
Like, yeah, the cassette. Why did you not? Why did you God. not tell them this at the very start of this whole thing? <laughs> just to be like, that's fine. We'll just fix him. But instead, like they let let them let them like wallow in depression for an entire week or however long it is, and then just as an afterthought, like, oh, by the way, we're bringing him back. He's getting a new paint job. <laughs> it's like, what the heck, guys? <laughs> terrible mean- management. Exactly right. Exactly. Meanwhile, a quick interstitial scene shows that the operation to increase the Madman Machine's power is near completion. We then cut to Fortress, we assume on Planet Master, who says, quote, Blaster has been revived as Twincast, beaming him through now. The Autobots gather to watch Blaster's rebirth as Twincast as he is transported into what I've written down as a giant test tube which I assume is a form of space bridge. Before, he was red. Now, he's blue. Alive again and reunited with his cassettes, he shouts, Autobot cassettes, let's go! And then they all dock inside of him. So, Andy, the name Twincast, thoughts? It works way better when you consider the Japanese name of broadcast because it kind of like mm-hmm. it sort of matches much like sound wave to sound blaster. You're only changing one of the syllables. The problem is mm-hmm. when you're changing it from blaster to bro- to twin cast. It's sort of I know he he sounds like he should be some like Napster ripoff from the nineties or something with a name <laughs> like that. But uh, but no, it's I, I kind of I I can kind of get used to it. And again. I feel like I shouldn't like this colour scheme, but it kind of works for me. Like, it's sort of, it's a bit garish, but I, I kind of want a twin cast toy as well, to be honest. <laughs> oh no, we're, we're sending you down a rabbit hole, Andy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a particularly bad rabbit hole, because these are all, like, kind of Japanese, you know, reissues of, of, of toys, which is, is you know, a real, a, a real pain to have any chance of getting hold of without spending a significant amount of money. Twincast is immediately charged with investigating the Mad Machine. Rodimus also sends the Headmasters and the Throttlebots to go and protect Vector Sigma. We see Twincast heading to Earth, where he sneaks into Trypticon slash Dino Base under the cover of a firefight between the Aerial Bots as Superion and the Combaticons as Bruticus. Also, the triple changes, Springer, Sandstorm, and Broadside are randomly in this as well, Andy. It's like, oh, gotta sell those toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely some very clear moments in here that are sort of even given even less sort of like reason for existing than even like I feel like the US continuity when it had to it had to kind of shoehorn characters in just as a reminder of like, hey, have you bought these toys yet? Um, but yeah, the triple changes turn up quite a lot. It feels like randomly across these episodes of just like, hey, remember these guys? They're triple changes. They're really cool. You should buy them. It was, I think so far in the show, which admittedly we're only, what, four episodes in at this point, it is the most shoehorned cameo we have seen. Mm-hmm, for sure. This being said, there are some fun visuals of Twincast actually leading the team of his Autobot cassettes through the inside of Trypticon, just kind of blasting some defences as they go, avoiding cameras and stuff like that. And then we see the Decepticon headmasters being space-bridged, which is a phrase I didn't think I'd ever use in this show, but sure thing, to Cybertron with the Mad Machine. They begin heading towards Vector Sigma, but immediately run into the Autobot headmasters, who got there flipping quick, who lure them away from the weapon and pin them down. I know what that sounds like, everybody. It is exactly what I mean. 
While this is happening, the Throttlebots, led by Goldbug, aka the former Bumblebee, are tasked by Chrome Dome to attack the Mad Machine. Which is a great idea in theory, but what does the Mad Machine do, everybody? It zaps everything of their power. So it zaps them long enough for Mindwipe to then use his hypnosis to turn them each on each other, albeit briefly, as Goldbug quickly restores order, and then they continue their attack on the actual enemy. A lot happened there, Andy. <laughs> yeah, and I, again, this this is one of the things I do like about the, the action scenes in this show compared to a lot of the US episodes. Like, it's quite willing to get busy in terms of the amount of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, it's quite happy to have, you know, it's not just one character versus another character. Like, you have these entire tranches of, you know, all the throttle bots and, you know, a whole bunch of headmasters. And they're all just kind of, like, clanging around, basically. Um, and it's kind of quite fun when that happens, because there's quite a lot of dynamism to what's going on with this. Um, and uh, although, I mean, it's it's more a note that I made for, like, I think the next episode than this one, but it sure feels like a lot of the animators here watched a lot of wrestling, um, because there's a, there's a real, like, wrestling vibe to a lot of the action scenes here. Like, I mean, I think I said the last episode, you know, it's, it's less of the kind of pew-pew laser guns all the time, and there's a lot more, like, hand-to-hand -hand combat and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and again, this is one of those scenes where it just really kind of revels in letting everybody get up close and personal rather than just kind of firing across a ridge all the time. It is a nice change to see, actually. I even just remember seeing that visual of like Optimus Prime throwing a giant karate kick. It's like, yeah, I'm game with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, even, even when we had Metroplex earlier, like, you know, he was kind of throwing drop kicks and stuff and it's like okay this is you know this isn't just a bit of kind of grappling and throwing each other there's a bit more to it than that and I, I'm kind of here for it back on earth Twinkast and his cassettes burst in on Sixshot who flees immediately when they shoot at him so he's a coward now, Eject, one of the Autobot cassettes, accesses a console and the Autobots discover that the Mad Machine is being sonically controlled by Sound Blaster on Planet Char. Now, aside from this big discovery, Twincast is also caught off guard by the fact that Soundwave has now been revived as Sound Blaster. So that's how he found out this has happened, everybody. <laughs> After reporting this news to Rodimus, Twinkar's plan is to smuggle his way into Char. And he blasts his way... Sorry, the way he did this was by blasting his way through all of the Constructicons. <laughs> and uses the Decepticons, what I've written down Andy as classic-style space bridge, to transport himself there. Man, th these combiners don't get a break in terms of trying to look good most of the time, do they? They look cool as a concept, but they never actually get to look good in battle, do they? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly, and and again, this is sort of given the you know, the Japanese continuity and what they didn't get. It's like yeah, they've never really you know in in this series they've not had much chance to look particularly cool. Um, you know, they transform and look impressive for like two seconds and then they get defeated, um, and that continues to be the case here. From there, during the sequence, the narrator says the following. Quote, in order to do battle with his longtime rival Sound Blaster, Twincast attempts to penetrate Decepticon defences by using the Space Bridge. I like how literal some of these narrator bits are. It's very, very helpful. 
Then we get our first look at the fact that seemingly Twinkast has a beefed up rifle which he calls a scrambler gun in the process too, firing it at some enemies. As the fight against the Mad Machine on Cybertron continues, things are looking bad for the Autobots, to say the least. So keep that in mind as this is going along. Twincast then encounters resistance in the form of the Decepticon cassettes on arrival from the Space Bridge. Uh, while his cassettes deal with their counterparts, he continues, leading to the meeting between Twincast and Soundblaster, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Twincast saying, So, you're Soundblaster. Soundblaster saying, And you must be the late Blaster. Twincast saying, Not anymore. You can call me Twincast from now on. Soundblaster responds, You've just been restored and want to end up as scrap metal again? Twincast says, Ha! No chance. I'm going to destroy this sonic controller in your chest. Now, this is a cool moment, and it's the, the way they reveal it is really good fun. Because we get a fun visual, almost like an X-ray perspective of Soundblaster's body, highlighting the placement of this Sonic controller, which we ultimately find out is actually basically just in his cassette deck section, which is very amusing. And the narrator says the following to emphasize this. Twin car sensors have discovered that Soundblaster is control is controlling Mad Machine by means of the sonic device in his chest. I love how literal it says, Andy. It's great. Now, we get a wacky moment here. Cyclonus shoots at Twincast, who manages to dodge the shot, then shoots Soundblaster in the chest, causing his cassette slot to open. The, the controller then ejects from Soundblaster's chest and Twincast destroys it with his gun and then literally says before just then running out, that's all for now, folks. <laughs> this was quite a moment, Andy, quite a total shift. Yeah, yeah. Again, if they'd have upgraded Soundblaster to a CD player, would none of this would have happened um but uh yeah it's just, i mean i've got a bit i legitimately thought the way this was heading that they were just gonna fight to the death again and we just go through this entire cycle and it's like no surely they wouldn't like ditch the toys that quickly um but yeah it, it's kind of i thought this was something that was gonna maybe simmer under the surface for a while before we got kind of the the new look cassette commanders fighting off against one another but like no no hanging around we're just gonna get them right back at it and it's like, yeah, that's probably was probably a smart move. That was that was pretty good. And I also like the fact as well that clearly Cyclonus being a bit of a bumbling fool at times is going to be a recurring thing now. Yeah, I I'm I'm a little disappointed what they've done with Cyclonus because yeah, like I th I think we get it in one of the later episodes as well where it's just like, oh man, like he's not he's not the man he used to be. <laughs> Times have changed. Continuities have changed, as it were. Clearly. I mean, he's, maybe he's just torn up about the fact that Galvatron's more into Sandwave than him. Maybe there's a whole love triangle thing going on. Who can say? <laughs> Having destroyed the controller, the Mad Machine ends up going haywire, allowing it to then be easily destroyed by the Autobots, who at that point were really struggling in battle. The Decepticon Headmasters retreat to cheers from the Autobots. We then see Twincast returning to base and has to immediately correct Daniel, who refers to him by his old name. And he does it 
by saying it in the fo by saying it the following way in this style. I'm Twincast now. Don't forget. <laughs> I obviously can't replicate the Japanese pronunciation of, but that's basically what it was. <laughs> Then the episode ends with everyone laughing at Daniel. Fair. But Rodimus then says to himself, Commander Optimus Prime gave his life in fighting the Decepticons. With justice as my shield and courage as my sword, I will defeat the Decepticons. That's a great closing line, Andy. What the heck? It is. I, I, it, I, I do feel a bit like he read that in a book somewhere and he's just like, I'm going to say that <laughs> to sound cool because that, that sounds pretty good. And that is how the great cassette operation ends. I've got to say, Andy, I mean, admittedly, compared to like perhaps how long it took us to get through some of the episodes in the last podcast, along with all the background information we have, it feels like that that really flew by, but it did in a good way because that was a really fun episode. Obviously, we sort of got you know the re the sort of the rechristening reincarnation, if you will, of two classic characters. But just as a whole, it was a really solid and fun episode. And you can, because of the amount of recaps they do of what happened previously, you can just watch this in isolation and get so much out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's right there in the title. It was great. Um, and um, yeah, like it's, <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> it, it's 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 just a really tight episode because it has. I mean, you know, as much as the the mad machine is there as like you know the kind of it's kind of Chekhov's mad machine I guess um <laughs> but you know it's just kind of that that's just there as a, a conduit for you know the, these new quote-unquote characters and a good reason to get them to face off against each other and it just it works it works pretty well like you know this Transformers as we've been through it has had some pretty ropey like character introduction episodes and numerous episodes where characters have just appeared with no introduction whatsoever but like this was a really good solid like hey look here's the thing that happened you've also already got a kind of certain emotional resonance because of what happened last episode and you know we can just run with that these guys are kind of the star of the show and it's also just a good solid episodic bit of you know Transformers hijinks with all of the the classic stuff that you would expect. I mean, heck, we even have an attack on an oil refinery. You know, some some really good proper classic Transformers fare going on there. <laughs> if you've got your old bingo cards, you know, get those back out. Exactly. So let's move on to the TF Wiki to see if there are any interesting notes we can elaborate on, or perhaps may provide some additional context for things that perhaps we were not aware of before. So. Animation and technical errors section of this. For much of this episode, Rodimus has black rings around his eyes. They appeared briefly in Birth of the Fantastic Double Prime episode 2. They seem to have been added by the Japanese animators as a way to further distinguish Rodimus from Hot Rod. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no problem with Rodimus' emo phase, um, and yeah, it, it does it does make sense, because to be fair, sometimes it is, especially when we had that period where there was, it was sort of like, you know, is, is he Rodimus or is he Hot Rod right now? It is kind of hard to tell, especially when you've got, like, close-ups and you don't get to see his entire body. <laughs> A fun note here. When Sound Blaster takes his first step, his hands are missing. <laughs> Uh, continuity errors. Daniel's sudden concern appears to be random, 
The previous episode had him happily playing video games with Wheelie and never mentioning Blaster's demise at all. And now he's suddenly so depressed that all he can do is mope. The capriciousness of youth, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point, yeah, actually. Probably just a delayed reaction to, to, to an, a, yet another trauma for Daniel. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> we should... <laughs> we need to mention this, Andy. So... Foreign localization. Because we've touched on this before. We're going to have some fun continuity things with this, I believe. So, the shout fact... Cause, so, I should clarify, just to remind everyone, we're going by the UK DVD subtitling from Metrodome, like circa 2005-ish. But the US Shout Factory subtitle, apparently, Andy. The menu calls the episode the Autobot Cassette Operation, and the subtitles actually call it Operation Autobot Deployers. Mm, yeah, I, I think the Great Cassette Operation sounds better than both of those. So. In terms of other languages, uh, in Russian, apparently the ep- so apparently this this got aired in Russia. Sure, um, this episode was known as the Ultimate Battle of the Cassette Robots. Yeah, I mean accurate. Then we get to the Omni Productions English dub naming of this episode. (laughs) I'm just going to read this as it is, Andy, and you can laugh and we can elaborate a little bit more on this. Quote, unquote, The resurrected Billy against the Autobots. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are not aware, the English dub of this, and we've spoken a little bit about it, again, we're not going to go into massive detail on it, But the English dub of this is fairly notorious for having been done in a very amateur way, as it were, and not by many people. But the English dub of this show also renamed a bunch of characters. So Blaster was renamed to Billy. So that's the thing. There's not much more to elaborate on it than that, but that is genuine. That's not me making that up. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, and I don't think, I, I don't think he got like renamed to Brian for his new iteration or anything either. I think <laughs> they just stuck with Billy at that point rather than like figure out a new name for him, which is doubly disappointing. So from there, Andy, uh, any other additional notes you want to impart on this particular episode before we move on to episode five? And um, th- th- there is one other final quote that I really enjoyed, which is I, I think when kind of. Um, they, they they were hatching their plan to kind of stop the mad machine and Rodimus I, I think it's like Twincast like mentions like an idea for what what needs to be done. Rodimus is basically like, that's risky and Twincast is just like, No it isn't. It's just like literally his comeback. It's like it's not. It's fine, um, which was was a really a really great exchange um, that I enjoyed immensely. From there, let us advance to episode five: Rebellion on Planet Beast. We're in for a ride, everybody. Enjoy. While patrolling the solar system, the Autobot headmasters detect intruders on board Battleship Maximus. Yes, everyone, you read that right. We're five episodes in, and we've got intruders already. Chrome Dome and Hardhead go to the armory to check it out, and they find Daniel Witwicky has stowed away and is hiding behind a crate. Moments later, the boy is saved from a falling barrel by Wheelie, who anticipated Daniel would probably want to stow away, so he stowed away because Daniel stowed away. (laughs) 
Daniel's excuse for wanting to be a stowaway is that he quote-unquote wanted to go on space patrol. I mean, who doesn't want to go on space patrol, honestly? I mean, especially when your previous includes, you know, blowing up an asteroid. Like, you know, there's always fun times when you go into space. So, although, although by the end of the next episode, Daniel, maybe careful what you wish for, but we'll get to that in due course. <laughs> so it's nice to see that the Autobot defences have still not improved very much. Even in no, this time no, line. it's uh, yeah, like it's it's uh, whether it's Ravage or some errant child, <laughs> anybody can sneak <laughs> into Autobot vessels at any time. Now, also worth noting because we're on board Battleship Maximus that this episode is giving off giving us our first glimpse inside Maximus, including the fact that Fortress does in fact transform into a giant head in what he calls head mode. To control the battleship. It's literally a giant head. Thoughts, yeah. Andy? <laughs> I mean, can't he just pilot it like a normal person? Why does he have to <laughs> be a big head? I don't know. I mean, look, Headmasters, sure, I guess. Somebody somewhere was like, look, look the show's called Headmasters. There hasn't been anything <laughs> like enough heads yet. So you've you got to be a big head and that's that's the end of it. I've always got this idea that someone had like a design doc meeting. They were like, "Right, we've got the four, got the four headmasters ready. We've got their vehicle designs. We've got the head thing figured out. This is going to be great. It's all going to work out." And then someone goes, "What about Fortress?" And there's an awkward yeah. silence. And then someone just goes, "He transforms into a head." Yeah, I mean that—that's where at least it, it sort of it felt like the kind of the U.S. continuity and the comics sort of figured that out in a in a better way. Having the whole like Spike is you know the head of Cerebros, which is then the head of Fortress Maximus. It's like that's far more satisfying than what we get here. So yeah, I I, I feel like they missed a trick with that, but this this is where we are. So we'll just run with it. <laughs> When the stowaways ask if he was going to send them home, Fortress lets them hang out on the bridge, so long as they behave. Quote. When he, his actual response was, quote, No, but space patrol is very dangerous. You mustn't wander about here. All right? So you, you must be new here, Fortress. <laughs> <laughs> Wheelie's reaction was, I guess so. To which Fortress didn't take kindly to that statement. <laughs> they soon detect two objects about ten miles away approaching the ship. We end up seeing that it looks like there's two humanoid animals in exosuits. Kind of like the suits that you know Spike and Daniel wear previously. And based on dialogue, they were looking for the Autobots. Lucky them. Now, these two people turn out to be named Hedgehog and Rabbit Kid, and they are known as Beast Formers from the planet Beast, and they are adrift in space in the exosuits. The pair collapse on arrival, and they're taken inside for medical attention, and Fortress presses them for information about their planet. Now, there is on-screen text at this point that appears, and admittedly the subtitles don't translate it, which makes complete sense in a few minutes, because they're literally about to say who the heck they are, so I get it at this point. But they explain that they have come seeking the aid of the Autobots in liberating their homeworld. 
Here is the following dialogue exchange. Rabbit Kid says, We heard all about you Autobot warriors. We had to contact you. Hardhead says in response, So you flew into space only wearing your exosuits? Which, side note Andy, it was spelt as Excel, as in Microsoft Excel, which is a recurring <laughs> theme. I'm guessing that's just a typo. Yeah, or, or maybe maybe their suits are made from spreadsheets, who knows? Maybe they're just, <laughs> it's just pivot tables all the way down. And then Fortress's feelings immediately on this is, damn those Decepticons, they've extended their malign influence even that far, eh? So we've established that the Decepticons have taken over Planet Beast and these two are trying to get help to help liberate their planet. It's kind of like Star Wars, everyone. You know, just putting it out there. So, Andy, for the benefit of the audio listeners here, there was a big smile that appeared on your face when I said the word Beast Formers. Care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, so I, I I wish I could kind of show you my notes here because I went on a journey as this episode proceeded. Like, you know, we, we introduced to these characters from Planet B's. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. Then it kind of shows like, you know, their sort of, their kind of bit of like, oh, this is, you know, what Planet planet beast looks like here are all these beast formers and my, my notes literally kind of read like oh yeah like beast formers and then my next note is like these character designs are really cool my note after that is like why do these character designs look familiar to me and then my next note after that after a few more minutes of watching this is all capitals they're the battle beasts i'm losing my mind because <laughs> In the world of very obscure 80s toys that I remember, for a hot minute, <laughs> Battle Beasts were a thing. Um, and th the specific, this is like story time with Andy now, so like I apologise, but like I've talked in the past on this, this programme about like being a kid in the 80s and the constant like hunt for Transformers in, in a world before online shopping where it was just down to what? The, what toys were in the shops that you went to and one of the joys of that was whenever you went on holiday anywhere you'd always make sure you had a day of where you'd get to visit the toy shops and the, the, the shops of wherever ever you were at because they probably have different Transformers to the ones they had at home and I have vivid memories I can't it was somewhere in Yorkshire I think I it was maybe like Leeds or something that I was at because it's like you know my my dad's side of the family is like from Yorkshire so we were like up visiting there it's maybe like Harrogate or something um and you know we did the usual thing like oh we'll have like a shopping day of course like went around you know all the shops and the toy stores and I can't remember which Transformer it was specifically I bought but like I saw like oh there's a Transformer that they had that I wanted um like you know did the usual puppy dog eyes to my parents it's like holiday treat and then like yeah a holiday treat um, and then I got doubly excited because this toy store had basically like a lucky dip of if you bought something over a certain amount you could go into the lucky dip big it was just a big box full of kind of toys and I was determined like they've probably got some cheap transformers in there so I'm not gonna say much I'm not gonna say much lucky dip as lucky look through all of this to see if I can get a second transformer for free 
Um, long story short, I could not. My, my parents, I remember my parents getting really impatient with me because I was checking over and over again to see if I could find a Transformer. They're like, look, just I, I, I'm pretty sure even the proprietor of the shop was like, look, just take something, please. It's a lucky dip. Like you're taking you're taking the Mickey at this point. Um, and so what I took eventually was one of the Battle Beasts because that was the thing that looked the coolest that was in this lucky dip. And so. I may well still have it in my like Transformers stash because I always just kind of kept it around with them in in the same toy box. But I owned a Battle Beast, and so the memories that came flooding back of this hot minute where Battle Beasts were kind of a thing. Like I remember there were commercials on TV. They tried to make it a big deal, and I don't think it ever really took off because they disappeared really quickly. But I have not thought about the Battle Beasts in like. 35 plus years I suspect <laughs> and suddenly here in my Transformers cartoon it's the goddamn Battle Beasts and I absolutely <laughs> lost my mind because it's like of all the things I was expecting I was not ready for the return of the Beast Formers slash Battle Beasts in, into my world so it was it was quite a, a blast of nostalgia for me that I very much enjoyed. Well, everyone, you know what this means. We've now got to deviate to go to the TF Wiki to learn about the Beast Formers, aka Battle Beasts. So, Transformers Beast Formers, later just Beast Formers, dropping the Transformers branding in its second year, is a subline slash spin off of the Transformers toy line released in 1987, concurrent with the Headmasters series. The series focuses on the titular Beast Formers a race of alien anthropomorphic animals from Planet Beast whose struggles intersect with those of the Transformers. The toy line at the centre of this series had been released in Hasbro's markets the previous year as 1986 Battle Beasts, as you just said, Andy. The toys were developed jointly by two companies as most of the, tra as most of the Transformers line was at this point. Battle Beast had no fictional ties to Transformers whatsoever. It barely had any fiction at all. But as the toys are overwhelmingly identical between the two markets, most Western fans consider them to be functionally the same thing as Beast Formers and don't care if their White Leo is technically a Pirate Lion. But since Beast Formers is genuinely tied to Transformers, the wiki defaults to using the, the Takara names and only covers the Hasbro iteration of the line in brief for comparison. <laughs> so, there is a whole page on this, everybody, which it, it's, it's quite wild just to see how in-depth this goes. I encourage you to just actually go and read this page just genuinely because it, it is quite fascinating there's yeah. also some some very detailed notes at the bottom of the page as well which is just like how is this so detailed someone please tell me there's even an external link to a google doc about about freaking beast formers and stuff this is mental andy yeah and, and this this all adds up because like i was probably you know i i suspect a lot of the kind of advertising of Battle Beasts that I do remember is probably from the Transformers comic because I am I suspect that because there, there is that crossover and that sort of Hasbro tie-in that they were probably quite heavily promoted there which is why I sort of recall them at all beyond the random one that I got in a lucky dip um, but yeah it's, it's, it's a crazy thing and, and also one of them is a giraffe that's just the only other <laughs> note that I need to make here like there's a giraffe Battle Beast and I don't 
that just that's just bizarre on so many levels to be honest like of all the things to be a battle beast i don't know a giraffe that's it's a lot <laughs> so if on your transformers bingo card you had battle beasts <laughs> please check this now yeah, I'm just excited for the rest of this series now because I'm just not sure what other like random toys are suddenly going to turn up. I'm like, oh, I remember those as well. I mean, the, the other thing I do remember about the Battle Beasts is because the, the whole like rub sign thing was still like a hot ticket at that point is that they all had rub signs like the same as the Transformers toys did, um, which was probably like the only actually cool thing about them to be to be honest in retrospect but uh well apart from that one of them was a giraffe but uh but yeah this this concludes my hot battle beast like five minutes but man i was so excited when i realized what that was (laughs) so fortress reports on the situation which in case you forgot everyone decepticons have taken over their planet just to reiterate that storyline But Fortress reports the situation to Rodimus Prime, who received a printout, Andy, from RC with the report, which I laughed at greatly, which reveals that the inhabitants have been forced to work in a secret underground factory. Fortress and co. are already on their way to the planet. Rodimus is on standby, as needed. We then cut to Planet Beast, with the narrator saying the following. So this is Planet Beast the home planet to an animal race called the Beast Formers. However, the Decepticons learned of their rich resources and one day unleashed a violent attack. And then a Decepticon Beast Army joined forces with Galvatron and enslaved the citizens. Attempts were made by a rebel Beast Army to attack the Decepticon stronghold and free those in forced labour. Now, we see what is being described unfold on Planet Beast, as this is being said. With a platoon of soldiers under the command of a character, we'll meet in the next scene, named the heroic White Leo, also referred to at at various points in the subtitle script, as Pirate Lion, which I won't lie, Andy, makes a heck of a lot more sense now that we've read that TF Wiki page. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And also, Pirate Lion is just a very enjoyable two words to say next to each other, so I'm kind of here for that. (laughs) Now, they attempt to liberate the prisoners but that are being used in the slave labour in a massive underground factory, but they are defeated by the evil beast formers led by Alagatron, which is a great name, uh, who have sided with the Decepticons. The narrator then adds, The royal-born pirate lion, White Leo, was commander-in-chief of the rebel force. The sight of the injured soldiers greatly saddened him. As White Leo debates what to do next, with previous parties of envoys seeking help off-planet have already been lost and there's no word from the most recent two, his primary focus is to minimise the sacrifice they have to make. That's the exact quote. Cue the Autobots to arrive on the planet. We're told a few kilometres from Leo's base. How convenient. While they're disembarking, they are spotted by one of the evil beast formers, is that what they're called? I've sort of lost track now. Called Snake Bomb. What a great name. (laughs) A a snake-like humanoid, in case you couldn't tell. Who reports back to Alligatron of their arrival, who in turn reports to Galvatron on Char. And this is when we get a reminder, Andy, of the fact that Daniel and Wheelie are also here. With Fortress reminding them that Spike wanted him to send them back. Effectively saying, behave. (laughs) 
Now, having received the report from Planet Beast, Galvatron and the Decepticon Headmasters prepare to move out there. Well, I say move out, head there. They're not going to just move there from Char themselves and send a warning to Cyclonus and Scourge to be on the lookout for the Autobots. The Rebels are cheered by the appearance of their comrades in tow with the Autobots and White Leo immediately starts working with the Headmasters on a strategy for rescuing their prisoners. We come to learn the Allegatron-led army is reptiles, fish, and amphibians from their planet that have joined up with the Decepticons. It also becomes clear that the Decepticons are constructing something, but nobody knows what. Fortress sets the priority on saving the prisoners, but they need to know the details of the stronghold. I hate having to wait here. It's boring, we then see Daniel saying, as, as him and Wheelie are sitting on top of a giant cannon on the edge of Fortress Maximus. Wheelie responds with, I'm going to explore. Daniel says, but we're not supposed to leave here. And Wheelie says, it'll be alright. Stay here by yourself if you want. And Daniel says, well... <laughs> and at this point, Andy, we realised... This, this is going to be a recurring theme, and this is a this is a terrible, terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this series has very much set out its stall at this point regarding Daniel and Wheelie in a way that I feel like even the, the, the US continuity was kind of like, yeah, we'll use them occasionally as the kind of comic relief, like, you know, kids making mishaps kind of thing. But, like, this series was really going to go hard on this, I feel like, and this is this is going to happen a lot. No sooner have they wandered off, they've already encountered something. But for once, not an enemy, it's actually a young ape beast former, whose parents are among those of the prisoners of the Decepticons. The ape says to Daniel, Are you an Autobot warrior? Daniel responds with, Well, yes. The ape says, Are you strong? Wheelie then chimes in and says, I am an Autobot warrior. I'm much stronger. Daniel then says, Oh yeah? I'm strong too. Wheelie responds by saying, don't overdo it. I know you're a weakling. <laughs> like, I blew up an asteroid one time. <laughs> this is why I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, everyone, by the end of the episode, Wheelie's just a bit of a dick. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> the ape talks the pair into, a, into mounting a rescue attempt and leads them towards the Decepticon factory. Once they see how many beast formers are guarding the place, Daniel decides that a frontal assault would be a bad idea... Not that Wheelie minds the challenge, that should be said. But unfortunately for them, they've already been spotted and are promptly captured. The ape, though, manages to get away. We then cut to Rodimus arriving with the Monster Bots, pronounced in Japanese as Firebot, very confusingly. And they arrive inside the Train Bots. And they see that Battleship Maximus is deserted. But Andy, let's change the focus. The Monster Bots. There are three of them. There is Repugnus, excellent name, who I've described as being like a mantis. There's Grotesque, another great name, who I've described as being sort of like a dragon. Then there's Double Cross, a two-headed dragon. We, I'm just going to put this out there now, everyone. We barely see these again. And I'm gutted because these look awesome. I want them and I love the name Repugnus as a Transformer. Yeah, that, that's ironically all I can remember about those toys and characters from like the 
car- the the comic continuity etc like all i remember is like repugnus was a really good name cuz yeah i don't think they ever really got any particular play in the comics i'm not sure i ever actually saw any of the toys beyond like leaflets or anything um so yeah also confusing because there were other transformers called the firebots later on so oh really (laughs) yeah because there was there was a, a range of toys where they could generate sparks and you had the firebots and the far less coolly named Sparkicons. And it's like, well, you kind of <laughs> ran out of names there, didn't you? Um, and yeah, like, it, 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 again, like, s- story time here. Like, I, I ended up with, I forget which one I got, but I ended up with one of them. Only after a very long, protracted conversation with my parents to, to convince them that they didn't actually produce fire. Like, even though it was called a firebot and, and, you know, it did cool things, it didn't actually, it didn't actually set fire to things. Um, you know, it was cold sparks. It was perfectly safe, although I didn't know the technical term at the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I not thought about, uh, about these particular characters in a long while and probably never will again after this episode, I suspect. <laughs> Elsewhere, the headmasters are scouting out the Decepticon factory when they spot that Wheelie and Daniel have been captured and are being led away. You can almost imagine that moment of Fortress going, Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Chrome Dome and Hardhead, though, clearly inspiration from Cliff Jumper from all the Autobot techs and whatnot they've clearly been reading, because they just charge off to go in and rescue them, only to be stopped short by the Decepticon headmasters who jump out of a swamp to seize the pair. And they also complain about the fact that there were piranhas eating through their steel inside the swamp. So that's a thing that will get elaborated on shortly. Trust me. It's at this point, Andy, we get the, we get our first glimpse of a new headmaster ability in the show. Swapping heads with other bodies. Highbrow and Brainstorm swap bodies with their comrades and begin fighting. We get to see the fact that the tech spec stats alter on each of them to demonstrate how their abilities can change depending on what head is on what body. In this instance, the configuration that they opted for makes them all a lot stronger, which my well, physically stronger, which my first reaction was, why don't you just make this the default? That this would save a lot of problems, but sure. <laughs> I, I guess sometimes you need to be smarter. Sometimes you need to be stronger. I'm, I'm trying to remember because I, I, there's part of me. There's some very dim memory in my brain that thinks this maybe was like a promotional kind of bullet point on these toys. But I don't recall any other part of the media ever kind of leaning into this like the comics never did I don't think like the rebirth certainly doesn't it's just like no this is the head that belongs to this body and that's that but like I feel like there was something somewhere in you know in the original promotion of the toy line to be like hey they're all just heads and bodies they're all interchangeable you can do whatever the heck you like I don't think I don't know maybe it did change the tech specs on my I, I need to, I need to get to my like box of Transformers and test this out <laughs> to see whether it actually changed the tech specs now because I'm like I'm thinking like maybe this is a thing that they actually did I don't know but it's it's a curious it's a curious idea and I, I kind of like it and it makes sense as a like promoting the toys of just like you know um it's like oh god what? I forget the um the name of that toy line where it was like it was kind of a video game and a toy line and you could kind of like interchange 
things a whole bunch um, that kind of came out a good few years ago. But it was like, you know, their, their whole thing was like... Oh, oh like Skylanders could... and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, Skylanders, that was the thing. And they and had d- then the Disney you... Infinity thing. Yeah, but like Skylanders, I seem to recall, they did a bunch where they were kind of like two different component parts and you could kind of switch them around. So you had like basically like five times as many toys uh, uh, like mathematically because you could mix and match them and it's like yeah that's actually kind of kind of cool um and i'm surprised they didn't make more of that in the whole continuity as a whole as a way to sell them part of that toys to life craze and then amiibos came along and look what happened with dlc yeah <laughs> those were the days there you go while all that is going on Fortress learns from the Beast Formers that there's a shortcut under the Paragalon Swamp. Because the Paragalon apparently is the name of the Piranha Fishes. Figure that out, everybody. I I couldn't figure that out properly, but it works somehow. They suggest that they take it they suggest that they take that route while the Autobots are battling the Decepticons. But the Beast Formers also think it's not really safe to go via the swamp because of the metal-eating paragalons. I'm just going to call them piranhas. I can't deal with that. (laughs) Luckily, they don't have to worry about that very long because Rodimus arrives in Battleship Maximus and drains the swamp. Like, literally, a hole opens up from the bottom of the ship and it's like one of the vents or something and it just hoovers up all of the swamp liquid. Yeah, I, I, I found that both very satisfying and quite funny of just, like, basically somebody just got the <laughs> Dyson out and just, like, vacuumed the whole lot up. It's like, well, I mean, that's a very good practical solution to the problem. Like, I, I have zero criticism of it as a strategy, but also it's just like, wow, that that was just a very simple way of fixing this whole thing. <laughs> it's like someone, you can imagine the writer's room, someone may be going, oh, how the heck do we get around this? And someone just goes... Just vacuum it up on Fortress Maximus. Yeah, you, you can imagine it's just like the intern of like, why doesn't someone just vacuum it up? Like, is, is there a Hoover Transformer? And they're like, no, but that's not a terrible idea. And, and so it was born. <laughs> While the Beast Formers head through th- this tunnel network and whatnot, Galvatron confronts Rodimus. The pair begin wrestling and rolling around on the ground. And this is strike three now for Cyclonus. He attempts to hit Rodimus while holding a pretty big rock. But they're rolling about, him and Rodimus and Galvatron. And then, at the exact moment, he decides, now I will throw this rock down and try and smack Rodimus. It just gets Galvatron in the face. And he proceeds to then just starting to run away with his arms flailing, just shouting, It wasn't me! <laughs> Which again, th- th- this is the point where I wrote in my notes like, why is this pro wrestling? And I, and like with, with, <laughs> with, with not throwing no shade at pro wrestling, this is more your your wheelhouse than mine, Jeremy. But this all felt very pro wrestling to me. This whole this whole fight. It's weird because in Japan, it is treated far more like a sport. Well, especially back then, it was treated far more like a sport. There's obviously the variety elements still in Japan, but. At this point, it was pretty freaking big, to say the least. Like, it doesn't surprise me at all there's a lot of wrestling influence. Mm. But, yeah, there are some things... That, I mean, I don't think the rocks would have happened at this point. I don't think there were death matches going on, like, in the bigger promotions <laughs> at that stage. But... <laughs> uh, well, maybe, but, maybe again, maybe, maybe this is another one on the list of things that Transformers invented. Like, maybe Transformers actually shaped the future of pro wrestling. I mean, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
In the factory, we see that conditions are grim, with exhausted slaves being whipped to keep them working and such. After Wheelie tries to intervene from one of them being attacked, the guards are drawn away because of all the, all the stuff happening outside. This is when the young ape that got Daniel and Wheelie into the issue into the first place manages to appear out of nowhere and begins freeing the prisoners and is then reunited with their parents. As they all head towards the exit, they encounter the monster bots, who Daniel has no idea who they are, so at first at first glance thinks they're the enemy, which is quite a fun note. Yeah, and, and again, there, there's, a, there's a real issue with communications across the Autobots in this entire <laughs> series, and yet again it rears its head of like, nobody's told anybody about these horrific looking Autobots to be like, no, they're on our side, it's fine. So it's like, yeah, somebody should have like sent a memo round, put something on the on the board to say like, hey, just announcement board, just like, hey, by the way, these guys, they're, they're, they're nice, like, throw a welcome party for them, you know, do, do something nice, I don't know. <laughs> they are they then report that they're being surrounded this being the monster bots i should clarify report they're now surrounded by enemy beast formers but luckily the young ape knows of a shortcut and they head through it also worth noting that we see repugnus remove a blueprint of sorts from the wall that was conveniently right next to them and they safely store it on their person where exactly heck only knows a random fun note as as Leo and Co are going through the tunnels, like the drained tunnels, and Andy, you might be able to speak more to this than me now, given that you are clearly the the, the battle beast expert, or whatever they were called on this <laughs> battle beast expert. But Leo just start; they come to like a three way fork in the tunnel system, and he just pulls out effectively like a mirror. It's like the world's oldest conceptual iPad at this point, and just starts talking to some random bloke on it. Who tells them that in terms of where the three tunnels lead, quote, right leads to the valley of death, center leads to the outside of the building, left will link up with the underground factory. What the heck happened, Andy? Who is this person? Yeah, I'm sure there is some deep Battle Beast lore of which even I, the Battle Beast expert, are not are not aware. But yeah, I, I did. I mean, it, I just find it particularly funny how it's like, well, if you go that way, that's like the Forest of Death. But if you go the other way, it's like Milton Keynes. And it's like, well, that's a kind of, <laughs> there's a bit of a dichotomy. Like clearly the Forest of Death is where I will go. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was just, it was it was a bit of a random moment. And it's just, I, I was just doubly amused by the fact that kind of the, the only like travel options were basically kind of like eternal death or the place that sounds all right and it's like oh, okay well i guess i guess that was thanks like battle beasts alexa for whatever was going on there <laughs> meanwhile a firefight battle rages on between the autobots and decepticons on the surface that is until galvatron cyclonus and surge are literally knocked into a pit of the piranha things I mentioned earlier, by Battleship Maximus. Now, I feel the need to emphasise this, Andy, because I did write it down correctly. For Battleship Maximus literally drove into them and knocked them into a pit. This was highly entertaining stuff. It was it was a hit and run. Like I mean, there's really nothing else <laughs> to say about it. Um, yeah, it was it was it was great. Like it's sort of. I mean, this this episode has had like you know with, with the whole like you know 
pro wrestling or or not fight. There's been a certain kind of amount of goofiness to this episode, and that that just kind of capped it off quite nicely as just the sort of pièce de résistance of like, yeah, I don't know, no no, no fancy kind of battles to the death here. We're just gonna knock you into a bunch of piranhas. At that point, predictably, Galvatron issues a retreat. We then cut back to Wheelie, Daniel, and the freed slaves, who run into White Leo's team as they're on the way out. So all of that talk of the Valley of Death wasn't actually needed, they were going to be fine. And they all arrive outside to encounter Chrome Dome. I don't know why I wrote down encounter Chrome Dome, because that implies it's bad, but, you know, <laughs> there we go. As everyone is reunited, Rodimus and Fortress have cause for concern, though, as they examine the blueprint that Repugnus found. And they're trying to look at what was being constructed by the factory. And it seems to be a small component that's part of a mysterious larger machine. Rodimus then turns to the monster bots. And the following dialogue exchange happens. Rodimus. You two, remain here just in case. Repugnus. Of course, sir. Seems like a nice place. Grotesque adds, I like it here too. Rodimus responds with, You're not here on a holiday, you're here to work. <laughs> uh, now, also, potentially a, a slight mistranslation, because in fact, it's all three of them that remain there. It's not just two of them. It should be clarified. So all the monster bots have debuted and are now stuck on Planet Beast. Yeah, pr pr probably in the hope that, like, well, maybe when the Battle Beasts become the next big thing, we can have more Transformers spin-offs. So let's yeah, let's keep this through line going, um, and then the Battle Beasts were never heard of again. And the reason that they've been asked to stay there is primarily in case the Decepticons decide to return and cause trouble, and probably also to make sure that the I need to call the, they are called the Beast Formers. I'm so confused at this point, and to make sure the Beast Formers have a bit more of a defense. Then the episode concludes with the narrator saying the following. What can the Decepticons be constructing in the underground factory? If that diagram was only part of the picture, they may have many more factories. You must not let your guards slip. White Leo and Rodimus, stay vigilant. And the episode ends. <laughs> Thank you, narrator, for your sage advice. <laughs> you know what mate as ridiculous as some of this episode was again it was good fun and I had no idea of the whole lore about the beast formers being battle beasts and stuff like that so that was a wonderful little easter egg there from my point of view but this was just this was fine but ultimately Andy and sometimes this is all that counts in an episode like this it does actually lead towards a greater plot it may be a tiny thing at the moment but the whole blueprint thing and the fact that something being made here is a, is in relation to something else, it's all eventually going to lead to something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I was in quite a state for the rest of this episode because of the whole Battle Beast thing. So I, I, I feel <laughs> like I, I quite quite a lot of it probably passed me by. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is the nice thing about this series is that it does feel like yeah, even when it's being kind of episodic monster of the wiki 
it, it still has a through line that it's kind of aiming towards and so yeah you know you have that thing building up of like what what are the decepticons trying to make and how is it going to try and take control of vector sigma because clearly you know that's what's going on there um so yeah that's it's quite a nice ending to yeah a pretty passable episode really like again this and the next episode felt very much of a kin with sort of some of the kind of mid-season, like season two and season three. Season three particularly episodes where it's just like, yeah, we're going to go to a planet and do a thing and here are some, you know, alien characters that you probably won't encounter again. Or, although in this case we hope you will because we're trying to sell you toys of them. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, it, it stands alone perfectly well. There's nothing too spectacular here. But it's all pretty solid, and yeah, it's, you know, entertaining enough. From there, let's move to the TF Wiki, because Lord knows after what you said, let's probably give you some interesting notes on here now. <laughs> so, continuity notes. Fortress appears in head mode for the first time in this episode, controlling Battleship Maximus from the bridge by connecting to it as a head. The head, of course, is that of Fortress Maximus and will not appear until later on in the series, so it kind of neuters any surprise by having it happen so far ahead of time. <laughs> well, there you go. This episode features the first time the Headmasters exchange heads, boosting their energy and controlling each other's transectors. Although the technique is not named at this point, it will later become known as Crosshead-On. <laughs> That's the very Japanese name, and I like it. <laughs> Although the blueprints that they found are never directly referred to again, it is relating to something later in the story. So, take note of that. And apparently, uh, this is not the last time the Transformers would visit Planet Beast again. It appears in a manga special. Oh, okay. <laughs> not, not even the anime. And it's called, the, the story, The Decisive Battle of Planet Beast. Yeah, I wonder. I, I I'm assuming that isn't like the manga that is like actually translated into English, because that that is all the more reason why I need to read it if uh, if there are some battle beasts in it. Um, let's find out. It doesn't make reference to the TF wiki. Uh, sorry, it doesn't make reference on the TF wiki that it was released in English, uh, but it was published by Kodansha. Should you want to go down the manga route? Yeah, I, I imagine it's some... some it was published in TV magazine, so probably unlikely. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely not in that case. That said, though, there are a couple of choice English animation... There are a couple of choice English translated frames, which I assume will just be fans trans, fan translations. Mm, yeah, that would make sense. Okay, now, so it doesn't look like that actually got an official English release, but if you look hard enough, you'll probably be able to find it, Andy. Yeah, for sure. To get your Battle Beast fix. <laughs> Uh, continuity errors. While being in headlocks, Chrome Dome and Hardhead are able to, to detach their heads from their transectors. At which point, uh, at which point, the Decepticons' grasp on them is pretty much neutered. Why didn't they just slip free at the at this point instead of switching bodies and re-entering the headlocks? <laughs> I mean, it's a very good point. Like, I mean, literally yeah. the entire point of a headlock is is exactly that. So if you can remove your head, then headlocks are kind of, like, not really a thing. Uh, the trivia note here, this episode features the animated debut of the, as the TF Wiki put it, criminally overlooked monster bot. And uh, also, according to the TF Wiki, the dub 
pronounces beast as pisto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, sure. Foreign localization. According to the Shout Factory subtitles, this episode is called Rebellion on Planet Beast. Platinum Tiger is referred to as Saber Sword Tiger in the subtitles, introducing him, despite the dialogue subtitles soon after using Platinum Tiger. Oh my god. So I'm guessing Platinum Tiger is White Leo, who is Pirate Tiger. <laughs> Have I got that right, Andy? Is that the translation train? Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I did like... I did like the- I do like the Mandarin naming of this episode. Riot of Alien Beast. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty strong. And uh, the English the English dub of this, you probably gathered now based on what I said a second ago, but it's called The Revolt on Planet Pisto. Yeah, an interesting choice. So I will forewarn you, Andy, there have been some toys made in, that were inspired by this episode. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully help your wallet. It's not any battle beast. No, I would imagine <laughs> that's that's gonna be the case. So there is one there is a Target Master Double Cross. There is a Repug and Groats. Okay. I might just read this, hang on. So White Leo functions as a headmaster in Legends of Double Cross. He is a redo of Titus Return Daburu who was designed in, in in homage to White Leo to begin with. Okay, sure. Uh, Legends, Legends Hedgehog, that's a phrase, uh, is a re-release of Titan's Return Dastard, <laughs> forming the head of Repug. <laughs> uh, you know what, everyone? Just, like, just go to the TF Wiki and look at these. They're basically kind of just the really tiny, almost really, really tiny ones. So it's not it's not like anything major like we've had before, but it's it's worth checking out. And I think that's going to wrap up that particular episode, Andy. Unless you have anything else you would like to impart on our wonderful audience. No, no, I, I have nothing else to say about the Battle Beast at this point. So thank thank you for <laughs> listening to my story. <laughs> From there, let's get to our final episode of the day. That being episode six, Approach of the Demon Meteorite. As the aerial bots pilot a survey vessel heading back to Earth, they cross paths with a mysterious glowing meteor that's approaching them at high speed, which then causes their craft to literally start warping and twisting out of shape. Inside, the aerial bolts are obviously shocked at this. Silver Bolt saying, We're twisting! Skydive responding with, That's terrible! <laughs> Understatement <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Alarmed as he is seeing footage on a monitor, Ultra Magnus' reaction to this was, What happened? <laughs> the spaceship was twisted out of. Sh- oh, sorry. So, what happened? The spaceship was twisted out of shape. As he sees his comrade's ship fly off into the distance, he then deploys the Technobots as a rescue team and sends a warning to Athenia. On Char, Galvatron says, Ha 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 ha! That went well. A triumph of our science. 
So, long story short, Andy, we're cutting right to the chase in this episode that Galvatron's behind us. There's no sugarcoating it whatsoever. We're in literally, what, barely two minutes into the episode at this point, and we know who the main villain of the episode is. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting, because Transformers doesn't do this all that often. Like, it usually gives at least a little time to build up the mystery or to to build up to something, you know, a, a plan being hatched. But yeah, this is just straight to, like, like we got 20 minutes for this thing. So Someone's had a cool idea about a meteorite. We're just going to go with it. Let's, let's do our thing. So overjoyed at the success of their new weapon, Galvatron makes it known that he plans to use it again, this time targeting the Autobot base on Athenia. When the Decepticons detect that the Technobots have been deployed, Galvatron alerts his own comrades on Earth of this happening. The reason for this? Cyclonus and the Terracons are then sent out to obstruct the Technobots, and Cyclonus reveals, at this point, basically, they're kind of behind what is going on. Which includes, Andy, the following dialogue exchange. Cyclonus saying, in response to the Technobots talking about, is this phenomenon a natural thing, or has someone made this? Cyclonus says, Fools! Something natural! Have your brains also been warped, Autobots? One of the Technobots responds with, What? Are you saying you guys did that? Cyclonus responds with, Oh, sorry, maybe we should see each other more. And a Technobot responds with, What? <laughs> uh, I had to write that, that down because that line from Cyclonus was just like, Wait, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is some, some fantastic dialogue in this episode. I'm not even sure whether it's deliberate or not, but I love it. <laughs> The Autobots on Athenia send out the Autobot Headmasters inside Battleship Maximus to go and destroy the Meteor. Rodimus Prime and the others are glad it wasn't heading for Cybertron, though, as Daniel frets what will happen if the Meteor... As Daniel frets, excuse me, what will happen if the Meteor reaches Athenia. RC assures him that Fortress and Co. will blow it up before that's a possibility. RC, you lied. I'm just saying. <laughs> The headmasters reach the meteor and begin opening fire, but everything they're throwing is just being deflected away, almost being twisted in some sense. Fortress reports back to Rodimus with the following quote, We're in a spot of trouble and can't cope. <laughs> Rodimus then tells them that, don't worry, they'll think up a countermeasure, but for now, stay nearby the meteor and observe it. Galvatron and the, the Decepticon headmasters arrive on Earth where Scourge, and many Scourges it should be said, there were quite a few of them at this point, reports that Cyclonus's, of Cyclonus's current success in interfering with the Autobots. Galvatron is pleased to hear this, but emphasises them to not let them get to planet Metamorphosis. That is the name of the meteor we are dealing with, everybody. Which... I've got to say, given what it does, I think it's a fair naming convention. I mean, I would have called it Planet Twister, but yeah, I guess that works as well. <laughs> yeah, you got me on that. I can't, I can't <laughs> talk to that. At that moment, they are attacked by the Throttle Bots, who immediately tangle with the Headmasters and come off as... As the TF Wiki described it, Andy, because I was trying to think of a delicate way of phrasing it, but this is the best way to say it, that the Throstlebots came off decidedly second best. Yeah, I mean, all, all, all I write is, like, the Throttlebots messed up. <laughs> 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 all, all, 
all I could uh, all I could muster. Galvatron then instructs Scourge and the Sweeps to head off and join Cyclonus. And the subtitle reads, Andy, and I'm not sure if this was just a typo or something, but it literally says, to help the Autobots. Yeah, I picked up on that, and I also wasn't sure. I don't think that's what that meant. There's maybe a missing word there. It was maybe like supposed to be to like help finish the Autobots or something because yeah there was a point of like wait has this kind of gone out of control and now like it's threatening everybody it's like did I miss something was I was I thinking about the battle beasts again and I missed (laughs) like something going on in this episode but I think that was just a subtitle oddity Hmm. did I miss a crucial point of dialogue from the the narrator (laughs) yeah yeah exactly where's the narrator when you need him to, to explain exactly what's happening we fast forward to Galvatron arriving at the still ongoing battle, and he is gloating to the Technobots that both Cybertron and Athenia will come under Metamorphosis's Metamorphosis's under the Meteor's control. Suddenly, Battleship Maximus suddenly hovers into view overhead, and according to the narrator, Rodimus knew this was Galvatron's work, so sent them back to Earth to go and help. And the Autobot Headmasters disembark, ready for battle. The Decepticon Headmasters, having defeated the Throttlebots, also turn up, and a giant battle begins. Meanwhile, we see that a ship has launched from Earth, and it turns out to be piloted by... The Throttlebots? Short version, folks. We come to find out that they basically threw the battle so that everyone thought they were dead. Partly because they don't want to fight the Decepticons, and partly because they want to try and take the glory of destroying the meteorite themselves. And I also feel the need to point out, Andy, while Goldbug is kind of the leader of the Throttlebots and it's put across that way, it seems like he's kind of being led along on this plan because he's not exactly how he's not exactly being the one leading the charge. He's kind of ultimately being the okay, I approve this. But he isn't necessarily coming up with the plan, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it, it all seems a little bit kind of ad hoc, and it certainly, yeah, seems like he's not particularly in charge of, of this whole thing. And, uh, yeah, f- fair to say, Rodimus not particularly thrilled with this turn of events. <laughs> so, I'm just going to cut to that now. Rodimus gets on the comms and just effectively says to them, don't go near it because they may be impacted like the aerial bots were. The Thrallbots didn't even respond. They just ignored him. And they just carried on. And then we see Wideload and Chase jump out to attack the Meteor. But the gravity field warps both of them and the ship. We then cut back to Rodimus, who sees this happening on the monitor, calls it insubordination, and tells Cup to make sure that everyone knows that this will not be tolerated. RC then points out that they're all competing with each other, i.e., you know, to try and destroy the thing because they want they want the glory. At which point, Rodimus says he appreciates that, but more importantly to him, it could cost them their lives. Andy, Rodimus is officially an alright leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you've got to put your foot down and when people are being idiots and flying straight into planet twister like you've got to you, you've got to you've got to draw the line somewhere um and and this is this this is where it is i mean it's it, it, 
Although we, we go pretty quickly from this to like child labour and potentially sending a young boy to his death. But, you know, that's a hard day at the office, I guess. <laughs> now, ad additionally, when it comes to the meteorite, they've also been able to determine that it is actually artificial. Quote, it appears to have a gravity detection sensor which is able to act on metal and deform the enemy's ship. So, the Autobots have also got some better tech now, but people can still infiltrate them at a moment's notice. Realising that stopping metamorphosis will require a non-metallic agent to deactivate slash defeat it, Wheelie has the suggestion that they need someone who is not a Transformer to go and sort this out. Wheelie suggests Daniel. Who... I think it's fair to say, Andy, he's very worried at the prospect of this. I mean, given that he's seen, like, multiple Autobots die horribly at this point, you can kind of understand that maybe he doesn't want to do this. Also, he's probably thinking, like, can't we get the Battle Beasts to do this? Because, I mean, <laughs> they're kind of organic, right? It's a fair point. Now, for clarity... Because I feel it, it's it's important to stress this because it is mentioned very much in passing for one particular character. Why Daniel and not anyone else? Well, Spike, we come to find out, is recovering from, from wounds sustained in an undisclosed, it should be said, battle. And they even name-check Marissa Fairborn, Andy, of the Earth Defense Force and whatnot. Because apparently she's too busy to go. Yeah, she's she's on holiday. She's got the week off. She's left her <laughs> she's left her phone at home. I feel like I I feel like this Spike being injured. This is like the equivalent of like the footballer that doesn't want to play in a in, in a match, and he's just like, oh no, I've, I've tweaked I've tweaked something. It definitely doesn't feel right. I can't I can't I can't go on. I can't play this one. So, so sorry, son. You'll have to you'll have to take this one yourself. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm going to come back to something in a second because it really did make me laugh when I was kind of writing up my notes for this, but I'll come back to something in a second. So, we then get the following dialogue exchange between... Well, just we get the following dialogue exchange. Rodimus says, Don't worry, Daniel. We won't expose you to any danger. Daniel responds with, Really? Rodimus, Yeah. Thanks, Rodimus. Wheelie chimes in and says, but Daniel, if we leave things as they are, all the Cybertronians will die. You too. Daniel, are you alright with that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 to be fair, I was kind of a bit back on board with Wheelie on that. It's just like, you know, he makes he makes a very good point. Also, though, Rodimus, like, making promises he can't keep, like, oh, no, it's not, it's not dangerous. I mean, it's only... It's only a thing Galvatron made that's been messing up all these Autobots. It'll be, it'll be fine. We won't, we won't let anything bad happen. When have we ever let anything bad happen to anybody, Daniel? Like, flashback to Blaster dying again. Um. <laughs> now, on that note, Daniel's response to what Wheelie said was, Well, I'll go and see Dad, i.e. Spike. Wheelie responds with, Hold it! What a coward! <laughs> and then Rodimus yeah, then we... says, Go on. Yeah, okay, we, we, Wheelie's a jerk again. I forgot about that part. Like I was kind of on board with him for like five seconds. Like, no, no, now you're just being a bit of an ass. And then Rodimus adds to the conversation, it won't work. We can't expose a child to such danger. Do you want to see why? See our previous seasons of shows. 
Then we randomly hear that the meteorite is two days away from impact. I say that, Andy, it's never mentioned again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's loads of time. I mean, two days. You can get a lot done in two days, so... We cut to Daniel finding Spike and Carly. Spike is proper banged up with his arm in a sling and he's all bandaged up and everything. Now, before I go on to the more serious point, Andy, the TF Wiki noted in their recap of the episode that this is clearly what happened to Spike during the ending credits of the show. <laughs> I mean, yes, probably... <laughs> Probably not wrong. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm still, I'm still there that he's faking it. He's probably like, oh god, Daniel's coming! Quick, get the sling on, get the sling on. Also, what, what, why, why can't Carly do it? Um, I did wonder that myself, but you know, because <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not like Carly has not been like capable of beating up Transformers in the past. Like she can hold her own. And as as the mother of Daniel, you'd have thought she'd step in and be like, "No, it's okay, son. I'll sort this out." But no, apparently not. Apparently, we can't. This is that. the same Carly who befriended Spike, got a tour of the Autobot HQ, stole some bombs, took a diving boat out to the ocean, dove down to the ocean floor to try and blow up Decepticon HQ, and then got captured. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's got previous. <laughs> I mean, you know, like. I can't think of anyone more suited to destroy this meteorite than Carly. <laughs> now, now we mention it, but uh, apparently, yeah. I know she was washing her hair or something that day, I guess. She was also too busy. <laughs> the Marissa Fairborn <laughs> book of excuses. So as mentioned, Spike is proper banged up with his arm in a sling and whatnot, but when he learns of the situation, he is determined to go, despite Daniel and Carly's protests. Spike imparts the line of, of wisdom, Daniel... There are times in life when you have to face danger. This is one of those times. You see, this is this is this is this is what you say when you're phoning in sick to work, though. It's like, no, I'll, I'll come in. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'll be all right. And they're like, no, no, you're saying terrible. You should say, no, no, let let me come in. Like, no, no, sorry, you've got to stay home. This is this is Spike <laughs> just doing that. That's this is my belief now, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> now. Fortunately, the Autobots also think it's a bad idea for Spike to go as well, but they are grateful for his concern and determination in the matter. Daniel then announces, somewhat defiantly, that he will go instead, and then has an embrace with his parents. Well, Spike actually, because it was Carly standing next to him at the time. <laughs> the narrator then comes into... Well, because it comes into shot, he don't see him. We didn't hear the narrator say... The battle on each was becoming fiercer. The headmasters were ordered back to their ship by Athenia. Except for Fortress, the four warriors were to retreat. We then see the Autobots and Decepticons still... Sorry, end quote. We then see the Autobots and Decepticons still shooting at each other. The headmasters, as mentioned, have been called back to, that have been called back to Athenia, depart in battleship Maximus while Computron keeps Galvatron distracted. Back on Athenia, we see that Daniel is suited up, not in an exosuit, but what I would describe as a more traditional-looking spacesuit, as it were. One that NASA might issue to someone in, in real life. Or, as Daniel called the suit, old-fashioned. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong, I guess, when you're used to an exosuit. But Spike explains that if you wore your exosuit, you'd be mangled like a Transformer. Also fair. But I think the better question to ask Andy is... 
genuinely, how is he not already mangled having worn that exosuit before? Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, there's a question that works on multiple levels. Um, who, who knows? Something, something, Transformers, technology, Vector Sigma, something, something. Rodimus then gives the following words of encouragement to Daniel. Daniel, we're asking a lot of you, but be brave. You're the only one who can save us. Apart from Spike, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's phoned in a sick, so, you know. Speaking of which, he tries to put in a shift for the day by saying, Daniel, let's talk strategy. When your ship approaches the meteorite, the gravity sensors will activate. The ship will stop just out of reach. At that moment, you will jump from the ship, you will synchronise with the meteorite and board it. Find the gravity sensors and deactivate them. Simple. I mean, any kid could do that. (laughs) Rodimus adds, we're counting on you. Daniel says, no problem, I'm with the headmasters. Wheelie says, I'm going too, don't forget me. And Daniel responds with, you're coming as my friend. <laughs> That's the greatest shade. Just like, you're not actually any use. You're just my moral support. Like that. Oh, I, I laughed so hard at that line of dialogue. <laughs> Which, to be fair, given everything that Wheelie's been saying, I was like, totally fair. That's fair game. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, both both in word and in deed. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you you've absolutely nailed it, Daniel. I, Forgive you many things for just that one line. And to add insult to injury, in some ways, Rodimus even has a hearty chuckle at that line before saying, we should depart. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Battleship Maximus has arrived. And it it, it arrives and it, it tries to touch down. And Wheelie and Daniel are standing very close to where it's landing. And the mission's nearly over before it's even begun because Daniel suddenly gets launched back because of the air pressure. <laughs> and I think Rodimus throws in a line of you've only got one body, please don't break it. <laughs> now, additional note here, Andy. I'm just going to say this now for point of reference. Only the other four headmasters were called back but Fortress is here. Yeah. It's not acknowledged how he got back so quickly, but he is, and is, and is there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we've, we have history in this podcast of like figuring out the science of how long it takes people to, to, to get places, but I've, I've got nothing on this one. He was just back, I don't know. I'm going to say he used some of his advanced technology and kind of space-bridged himself onto the ship. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's some space bridge thing going on. I don't know. Something something <laughs> Vector Sigma Transformers Science. <laughs> Part way to their destination, Galvatron and the Decepticon headmasters are on the chase. And the Autobot headmasters, Bar Fortress, jump out to engage them. At this point, Daniel starts getting cold feet. And by that, he's bawling his eyes out going mental. Wheelie offers words of encouragement in the form of, It's too late now, you coward! <laughs> yeah, so, so much for coming along as a friend and as moral support. It's like, you've already <laughs> failed. You had one job, Wheelie, and you failed. Cue Fortress to step in and offer his words of encouragement. Daniel, you're no coward. Look at me straight. Are you scared? 
And then he picks up Daniel and just holds him in front of him. My face is funny, isn't it? And Daniel says, I'm scared! (laughs) And then Fortress proceeds to try and get Daniel to laugh by pulling funny faces. I mean, this was a classic. This is a classic moment that I have seen many times from the Twitter account that retweets clips from the Omni Productions dub. Um, it is like a, a classic moment that just crops up again and again, and it's it's one of the, it's one of those bits where I genuinely can't tell how it is pitched within the series because I feel like part of the joke is that fortress is a transformer so he can't really pull funny faces but i'm not sure whether that's what this scene is going for or whether he is actually (laughs) supposed to be pulling funny faces but either way i find it highly entertaining (laughs) at this point daniel has like calmed down and is cheered up again and is game for doing this at which point wheelie chimes in and says sorry i didn't consider your feelings forgive me to which Fortress says, as long as you understand, Wheelie. <laughs> the, the, the narrator comes on, Wheelie didn't understand. I'm sure we'll get more of his sass in future episodes. At this point, Fortress decides he needs to go and help his fellow headmaster comrades and prepares to leave Wheelie in charge of Fortress Maximus. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Daniel is now happy enough to, like, do everything he's got to do himself. And as he's about to jump out of the ship onto the meteor, he says, Dad, I'll do my best to be as strong as you. And as part of me, it thought, which incarnation of him? (laughs) Yeah, if if, if you're going to try and be like season two Spike, then you're going to have to, like, flirt with half a dozen women and break a lot of things. So, you know, (laughs) buckle up some. We see Daniel jump off into space, waiting for the meteor to basically just get to him, as it were. He touches down on the surface. He starts walking around a little bit. And then one of the metal warping defense guns appears and shoots Daniel. And nothing happens. Daniel now knows he can get inside and promptly jumps inside the sort of the, the open hatch where the gun came from. He gets inside and it, it it's... He's just walking around. There's lots of different sensors and stuff. He's trying to figure out where the control is that could disable the gravity weapon, if you will, of this meteor. And of course, Andy, he successfully does this by using the controls that screams, obviously, it's this one, the one with the really big lever and lots of beeping beeps next to it. (laughs) He pulls the lever down. And then plants a bomb, because holy crap, you're giving a child a bomb, alright? <laughs> and then he gets out of the meteor, and it, and it explodes! We then cut back to the battle involving Galvatron and the Headmasters. And the Headmasters are going, yeah, Daniel, good job! And Galvatron has no idea what's going on. And then it's just told, look over there! And you kind of just see a pile of, like, smoke. And then Galvatron, effectively, is just going like, Gah! Retreat! Then back on Athenia... Daniel is hailed as a hero. He's being flung in the air by the headmasters. All five of them are flinging him in the air, which made me think he'll be in space in a minute if you're not careful. <laughs> and then the narrator comes over the over the voiceover and says, like his father Spike, Daniel became an unlikely hero. Without a doubt, this is an event 
he'll never forget. Until the next time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he'll be an idiot again by the next episode. It's fine. And that's how that episode ends. In it is pretty much just a, a monster of the week style episode, but again, good fun, Andy. There's there's a level of consistency with this so far, which is just good fun. And sometimes that's all I want in a show like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is quite entertaining. It's like the core idea is sort of different enough. Like it's. I know, it's, it's kind of a really typical idea in one sense of like, ah, oh, it's something that, you know, the actual Transformers can't deal with. Um, but, you know, the whole kind of warping idea is, is kind of interesting. And to be fair, for a series that is clearly like hell-bent on having, you know, Daniel and Wheelie's crazy adventures, like, this is a pretty good conduit for that of like, oh, it's something that, you know, only a human can deal with and oh, by the way, you're the only one that can do it. So it's like, yeah, you know, sure. As much as I wrote in all caps when it turned out that way, oh no, it's all down to Daniel. Um, you know, it's <laughs> it was it was a pretty it was a pretty entertaining, you know, little romp in the end. So uh so yeah, it's a pretty pretty solid little episode. And also, to be fair, it's not the first asteroid that Daniel's had to blow up. No, I mean, at least this one was <laughs> deliberate. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the end outcome was the correct one. I still don't quite understand why they didn't just have him disable it and then the Autobots went and destroyed it. That would probably be the safer option. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, pro- let's be honest, Carly probably gave him the bomb of just like, look, when I was your age... I was blowing all kinds of stuff up. So, uh, you know, here's here's a little memento for you. Just 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 slip this under the control panel, press this button, it'll be great. So yeah, like 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 mother like son. So let's turn to the TF wiki to see if there are any additional notes that are that are, that will help perhaps clear up a few details and such. First of all, continuity notes. The Throttlebots really look like they die in this episode, but they turn up okay later in the series. Oh, I guess from when their ship got twisted. Yeah, because it's never actually fine. So, so it's unclear if they were retrieved or repaired, or if they or if they even managed to recover and re- retreat like the aerial bots. So I guess yeah. that means the aerial bots are okay then, but now they mention it. Yeah, yeah, I, I've got it, it. It is the weird thing about this is because I, I was expecting there to be a kind of like, oh, when you disable it, it like reverses the warping somehow that they'd at least, you know, it's a really easy way to kind of talk your way out of that corner. But I guess they're just like, ah, it's only the throttle bots. No one's going to notice. We'll just, we'll just run with it. <laughs> now, I appreciate earlier I said scourge and many scourges. I meant the sweeps. Speaking of the sweeps, they make their first of two appearances in Headmasters in this episode. That's uh, that, that's fair. Yeah, is uh, I I still find that a weird thing that that ever became a thing in Transformers that you had Scourge and the sweeps. Like uh, you know, what, just have Scourge. It's like you don't need an armada. It mm. seems excessive. <laughs> hey, you're not wrong, are you? You're not wrong, Marissa Fairborn. Although she doesn't appear in the episode or at any point during Headmasters, okay, well, that's confirmed then. Daniel suggests Marissa Fairborn, who last appeared in The Burden Hardest to Bear, as a possible candidate for the mission. So, okay, well, if anything, Andy, that's confirmed we ain't going to see her in the show, so she's done. Yeah, she's just. She's very busy, as, as we have learned. <laughs> so, you know, can't really expect her to rock up and save the Transformers, I guess. In the Omni Productions dub, after the line, 
But then again, the universe is endless. There might be a rogue in here. Someone laughs in the audio. <laughs> I mean, can't really blame them. I mean, we've been laughing quite a lot of the dialogue in this episode, so, you know, it's only fair. That's not even the, the, the dub, blimey. So, trivia notes. Daniel sure regresses mentally in this episode. He balls like a cockily two-year-old, complete with flailing fists in the air as Fortress holds him like he's got a full diaper. Uh, like Daniel has the full diaper, not Fortress, it says. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> and Fortress makes silly faces to make Daniel laugh. It's embarrassing. And the sad thing is, it won't be the last time. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, note how no one even suggests that Carly, Spike's daring, intelligent wife who once infiltrated the Decepticon base on her own, could go on the mission to the meteor. Instead, it's straight to sending the whiny preteen kid to save everyone. <laughs> I mean, you do suspect there's an ulterior motive there. Like, Fortress is just like, I am done with babysitting this boy. Like, if, if he were to meet with an unfortunate accident... <laughs> In the metamorphosis asteroid, you know, maybe maybe that wouldn't be so terrible. Then he wouldn't be allowed on a mission ever again. <laughs> exactly. Galvatron is a really terrible shot. As the Autobot headmasters retreat, he can't land a single shot even near the enormous building-sized battleship Maximus directly in front of him. <laughs> he's prob he's probably wrong. been on the... He's probably been on the Energon again. It's, you know, just tough tough, tough to shoot straight when you've had a few. It's rather considerate of Galvatron to design controls for the gravity emitter to be not just human height, but pre-teen human height. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's, <laughs> it, it, is, it is very strange how tiny those buttons and everything must be to an actual Decepticon. So we conclude our talk on this episode with foreign localization. When it comes to the Shout Factory version, so, first of all, <laughs> uh, we've got, it's called Approach to the Demon Meteorite, though on the DVD menu, the name of the episode is spelt incorrectly. They spelt Meteorite missing the second E. Uh, well, we've, we've all been there. Uh, the Meteorite is named Metamorph Metamorphosis in Shout Factory subtitles as opposed to Metamorpho in Metrodome subtitles and the original Metamorphose name. Oh, flippin' heck. Alright. <laughs> the name of the episode... Planet oh, Twister. Is the, is why they, there you go, Twister. see? There you go. In terms of the name of the episode, the English dub simply called it The Evil Meteor. Also yeah, fair. In Mandarin, it was approached the demon meteorite. Uh, in in Russian, it was called the ominous meteorite. Also accurate. And in Italian, it was called Daniel's Courage. <laughs> I mean, that's not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Just calling that one out. So that concludes that episode. Uh, Andy, any additional notes you would like to impart on everybody? I guess for me, just again, just fun episode like got nothing to complain about really yeah yeah it was you know it was it, it was it was good a good a good time overall um i i sort of again probably because of the battle beast thing i feel like i blanked quite a lot of this episode so like get, going over <laughs> it again in my head was like oh yeah actually this was this was quite passable it was it was perfectly okay 
Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're, we're heading towards some, some more kind of uh, meteor stories, N- not meteor, but meteor stories, um, as, as we, as we move forward. So, uh, so yeah, like we should maybe enjoy this, this episodic farewell we can. When it comes to next time, everybody, we're going to be moving on to a two-episode format because we are aware we also have a two-part story coming up within the next couple of podcasts. So next time, we'll be talking about episodes seven and eight of Transformers Headmasters. Andy, would you like to know the episode titles we have waiting for us? Always. Please please tell me. Episode seven, The Four Million Year Old Veil of Mystery. That's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm in for that already. And episode eight, Terror, The Six Shadows. Those are good episode titles. Like they could, right? be, like Doctor, could be like Doctor Who episodes or anything, and they, they, they sound compelling. So, okay. Well, hopefully they can live up to that billing. So, folks, that's what we've got coming next time. In terms of a time frame to expect the episode... Expect it probably within the next three to four weeks is what I would say. But as usual, if you keep subscribed to your podcast feed of choice or if you're subscribed on YouTube and you've got the notification bell hit, you will be informed when the next episode is available. And if you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can find our account under the name at StarScreamsPod. Andy, before we wrap up, any other additional thoughts for today's episode? If, if you have a Battle Beast story that you'd like to share, um, then I would love to hear from you. Because so- someone else on this planet must remember Battle Beast. Please, I can't be the only one. <laughs> Is this you announcing you're starting your own spin-off podcast now? The Battle Beast yeah. podcast? Yeah, Pirate, Lions, Spectre, I don't know. Um, I, need, <laughs> I, need to, I need to workshop it. How, how, many, how many Battle Beast names can you remember? None. I mean, literally none. I couldn't <laughs> tell you any of them apart from the one that I think I maybe got right just now. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They were so they were so just ephemeral, like you know, because there wasn't really like a comic or a cartoon or anything. They were just there, and they looked not. I know. I feel like even the one I got did not look particularly cool. I can't even remember what animal it was supposed to be particularly, but. Um... But yeah, they 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 were they they came and went like so many toys in the eighties, and I think that's kind of what I find so fascinating about them is like for all the Transformers and the stuff we're still talking about, like thirty plus years later, there are also all of these toy lines that just tried to be the next big thing, lasted like two minutes flat, and then just disappeared forever. You ain't wrong. I've just suddenly thought of like loads of other old toy lines, which oh yeah, I, I remember that being a thing for like five minutes. And they maybe even got like a season of a cast, not even just like a, a couple episodes, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember the era where like, you know, the the, comet, the Transformers comet went really big on visionaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that that didn't really stick around for a, a particularly long time. And yeah, there were so many. And there's so many gimmicky toys as well that were like, all holograms and again, the rub signs and stuff. Everything had to have a gimmick. Um, and sometimes that meant that they weren't very good toys. I mean, we, we could start talking about the Rock Lords if you like, but that's we should say that for our GoBots podcast. When we, when oh my we god! Okay, if we ever do Patreon tiers, that'd be part of it as well. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, you probably. To be fair, you probably wouldn't have to pay me to to watch Gobots versus the Rock Lords again because it's so it's such an astoundingly bad film that it is actually quite hilarious to watch. <laughs> I like the way you're happy to watch that, but 
but the the English dub of headmasters, you're like, no, that crosses the line. I'll need to be paid for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have I have some strange proclivities. What can I say? <laughs> Folks, thank you very much for listening. On that note, from myself, Jeremy Gray's, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we've been Star Screams Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>